Hello, guys. Welcome back to the show. In episode 41, before we get into your interview with Colin Greening, Matthew and I are going to take a look at some of the NHL news from this week. And I will start it off with the first news topic. Philippe Deneau of the Montreal Canadiens has rejected a six-year, $5 million AAV contract. And apparently, now that I look at it again, they, they tried to circle back. He wanted five and a half per year. But uh, Bergevin said that offer is no longer on the table. So is Deneau out of Montreal this season? Um, personally, I think he's good. I think his time's done because I even, rem- um, I can't remember exactly what the quote is. Uh, I don't know if you, you can probably correct me on this when, um, when he was saying, um, I'm trying to pull it up right now. He was saying how something about like, he, he doesn't know, his actual, he doesn't know his actual spot on the team or something like something to the effect of that. I'm trying to pull it up right now. That's kind of weird, though, because he's playing first. I mean, the Canadians kind of roll all four of their lines because they probably have one of the deepest teams in the league. At least they're at least top two in the North Division for deepest teams. Like, they can roll all four lines. So he's he's slotted in on the first line, and he plays such a good defensive game. I don't know why you would want to leave La Belle Provence. I don't know. Is he is he from Quebec? Not her, I I'm pretty sure that. he is. I mean, Philippe Deneau is a really French name, so... If he's not, that'd be very surprising. I don't know. I think I think he just because looking at looking at Montreal's roster, they are getting young. They are getting younger, but I also think that he's gonna he will end up losing his um, his first line spot soon. And I think even if well, he is yeah. playing first line, if he doesn't, if he is even even if he's promised first line uh, minutes throughout the duration of that contract, five million bucks for a first line center is a steal. I do not think he's betting he's betting on himself there because if you look at if you look at around the league, the first line centers are making upwards like over seven million on the minimum. Yeah, well, except I'm pretty sure Mark Scheifele is also really underpaid as well. Like, there's a lot of these Canadian centers that are really underpaid. Plus, I feel like he's getting pissed off with the taxes. I feel like that's a lot of teams. That's kind of their situation. Like, yeah, I, don't, I really don't want to be uh, the, the taxes and shit. But yeah, taxes in Canada is like fifty four percent on. The- yeah, this this season his average ice time is 16.21 minutes. So that's 16 not minutes. That's not first line center time. Last year he was getting 18.1851. So that's that, not that's, first line center time either. Cuz they roll all four lines though. Like they they ha- they don't have a first line. They base the Canadians basically have the skill of like three second lines and then a third line. That's kind of their team if you sum it up. Yeah, you could you can make the same argument with the old Toronto teams that Phil Kessel days. Yeah, he could. Had, when basically every Every line that they had was um, like a set. Like their ter- their first line would be com- able to compete against most teams' second lines or like destroy a third line. They, would, yeah. they didn't have an actual first line first line to work with. Another news topic: Adam Brooks also scored his first goal. You could talk about that since you're, you're a Leafs fan. Dylan Cousins and Jack Stefnika also scored their first goals, and but we are yet to see Alexi Lafreniere score his first NHL goal. So you think he'll be kind of like the uh, Jack Hughes from last season? Honestly, I couldn't tell you. I have not been following uh, his progression. I've not been following his um, mm-hmm. like the Rangers or organization. And the thing that pisses me off about uh, about Adam Brooks scoring his first NHL goal, I missed the game. Oh damn! I was out. I was out. I had to go pick up my sister, and I ended up I ended up missing it. I ended up missing. I ended up missing his goal. Which I'm so I'm like I'm actually trying to pull it up. Honestly, I'm trying to pull it up right now just to take a quick look at it. So it was a deflection watch. power play. It was he was on the power play. I don't know why you're throwing the rookie in the power play. I don't know maybe because you got a you got 
other guys that could be on the power play there. I, but he he deflected it in. It was a really nice goal, to be honest. Um, so, but I know I do understand why they put him on the power, on the power play because he did get some power some PP minutes with the Marlies and um, like in in the AHL, obviously. And um, mm-hmm. he's like a, he's young, he's fast, he's got a good shot. And if you think about it, they're short on uh, they're short three power play for like three players that are on their power play religiously. True. In in um, Joe Thornton, in Nick Robertson, and in Austin Matthews, obviously. So they need to they need to make up for that. Well, Nick Robertson not religious, but when he's in the lineup, he and we saw in the bubble he plays power play time. So like when you have to deal with losses like that, you have to get creative. And obviously Sheldon Keith thought saw something in Brooks and it panned out. Also, I want to talk about Matthews a little bit here because I was looking this up and it's actually a really interesting stat. I was looking at who has one of the worst shooting percentages in the league. Austin Matthews leads the is one of the leaders in the league in shots with 27 shots in his five games. But his shooting percentage is 7.4%. Like for one of the most elite power play or even strength scorers, that's not looking too good for him. He's not off to the hottest start. Before I get into that, I'm just, just finished watching that Adam Brooks uh, deflection goal. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Um, Austin Matthews, he, he's playing with, he's playing with different line mates now or not different. He's playing in a different setup now. Cause he's playing with, he's playing with Marner and Thor and guy, and he's got Marner who look, who's looking to shoot the puck more. And also now in this Canadian division, it's, it's like playoff hockey and playoff hockey. I'm, like they're all going to be up, but up his ass for lack of a night, for lack of a better term, 20, like for 60 minutes a game, whenever he's on the ice, he's going to, he's been getting double team. He's been getting play heavy. And, um, like, and yeah, and also, and also in terms of the shooting percentage, like sometimes people go through a bad stretch. We're only six games into the season. And he's only played five too. So he could always yeah, bounce back, only, but I'm just, I just thought it was an interesting games. stat. He's only played five games. Okay. I bet you, I bet you by the end of the season, that shooting percentage is going to go, is going to go higher. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. He's a really good player. Definitely one of the best in the league, but I just thought it was really interesting that he has 27 shots already in five games, like averaging five shots a game. Not many people do that. And also before we continue, uh, Line or Matthews, that that debate can't happen anymore. Matthews is still on his original team. That. Well, yeah, but no, I don't know many sane people that were actually having that debate, and that's coming from a Jets fan. Like they're nowhere near the same level. Like you, a number one center and a number one winger are not the same. It's just that's where you end it right there. If you have a number one center and a number one winger, that's where it ends. Yeah, it's true. The bias always goes. A bias always goes to the center. True. And one actually, again, another thing with Matthews is that guy. You, even when he hasn't been contributing as much offensively as he would like to, his defense his defensive game has increased a lot. His face off his face off percentage has been going up, like, and I and I attribute that completely to Manny Malhotra, the new Leafs assistant coach, who made his name as a defensive centerman who can win, who was one of the best face off takers in the league during in mm-hmm. his prime. Him and, and you can see that with Austin. You can see that with um, Jason Spezza, who I think he went. I forgot who was against. Might have been against the Jets where he went ten for ten. On the draw? Uh, yeah. I don't think so, but maybe. Could be. One, there was one game where he went 10 for 10. That'd be impressive. Yeah. Because Jets have a lot of good face-off centers. Like Lowry, he wins over 50%. I'm guessing maybe he didn't play Lowry. Because third line, you should play the first line. And you said it was Spezza, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so he would have been playing Shife. And Shife kind of sucks in the, in this circle. All right. That's enough Leafs talk for now. Let's move on no, to the... Actually, you know what? There's one more thing I'd like to talk about. <laughs> like All right, one more. About. It's like I'm, I got my... Um... I got my TV on right now just because we got the, we got the Leafs game starting pretty soon, and uh, I got Sportsnet on. 
And one thing I, I wanted to mention, George Armstrong passing away at the age of 90 years old today, January 24th, when we were recording this. I obviously have not had the privilege of being able to watch George Armstrong play, but like I've had the privilege of meeting him a couple of uh, meeting him at um, various events and one of the like such a nice person and like beloved, beloved by the, by the organization, beloved by the city. Um, and you could tell us and you can tell he was beloved when the least brought him back as a, I want to say it was a community representative, like one of those jobs that they give to X play X stars. Like, I think now they have, I think they were, it was him, um, Doug, him, Doug Gilmore, Darcy Tucker and Wendell Clark and Daryl Settler. So, uh, who made, who like had, they were that department mm-hmm. and just like his effect, his effect is going to, or his legacy is going to be felt in Toronto for decades to come. Top 100 player in Leafs history. Uh, every, every one of the old videos, like the highlights I used to watch from that, like not just on YouTube from the 50s, 60s, like amazing player. He's the cat, you, the people's captain. Uh, I want to say, I want to say he was like the second captain in Leafs history. Played mm-hmm. forever. Um, yeah, George, you're gonna be missed. All right, it's a sad, sad note to end it off on. But let's go to the Caps here, and they were fined a hundred thousand dollars for breaking COVID protocol, and their starting goaltender, Ilya Samsonov, is tested positive, which now gives Craig Anderson a spot as the backup for the Caps, and. And a lot of people were taking to it. Like I know Ovechkin's wife was kind of saying like, why were only the Russian players, the one that were exempted or like, uh, what is the word I'm looking for here? Like they were singled in. Yeah. Yeah. Alienated. And then uh, there's a lot of people who are really mad at it, but I think that they deserve to be fined for it. If you're not wearing a mask, like you kind of deserve to be out for four games and find a hundred grand, like just follow the protocol. It's not that hard. Just wear a damn mask. Yeah, I completely agree. And in terms of, in terms of like what Ovechkin's wife was saying with the whole Russian bias, it's I don't I really don't think it's a Russian bias. I think it's just an Ovechkin and Kuznetsov bias. If I'm being honest, <laughs> like Kuznetsov's already been fined and suspended for like smoking. What, what was he suspended for four and years for that whole cocaine thing? What was he suspended for again? Uh, when he got caught with coke, he got suspended by the AA. For how long? Oh, for uh, from the WH. I thought you were gonna say NHL because I know he wasn't suspended oh, by the NHL. The WHF. He was suspended for team uh, from uh, participating in any Olympics, World Championships. World oh, Olympics. that's Olympics. why when I look at these mock like Russian 2022 Olympics, I never see Kuznetsov on it. I was wondering, and then that actually makes sense because he would have been he would not be able to play then next year. Yeah. So, like, it's when you have a track record like that there's going to be an onus put on your head, which is why I completely understand why they got caught. When you have, like, when you have the history like that, the his, a history, like, I, it makes, it makes, yeah, I criticism and it's straight it is it is justified for, to a certain extent but like even with Ovechkin like the guy he's got a he's he's known for a while and going and like enjoying the- another interesting news item the Winnipeg Jets have shipped Patrick Laine and Jack Rosovic to Columbus in exchange for Pierre-Luc Dubois and a 2022 third round pick 
And that's interesting because I thought a defense would be involved in this trade, but it kind of shows me the confidence level that Kevin Cheveldayoff and Paul Maurice have in their young defense, like Logan Stanley, Dylan Sandberg, and Vili Hainala. So, if you just take a direct look at this trade, you'd say, okay, Line A is a superstar, therefore Columbus wins the trade. But I think Dubois and Shifley will be one of the best one-two punches in the NHL. So I think that uh, that's going to help them win now and win Cups for years to come. In hopefully win Cups in years to come. But Line A and Rosovic will shine in Columbus. Line A will be helping that starved offense in Columbus. And Rosovic, he could be a career second liner or third liner in, Colum- in Columbus. He's a hometown kid, so you, you, can't, you know he's not going to leave. Line A is working on building a long-term relationship with Kekalainen and the Blue Jackets. Let's just hope that carries on with John Tortorella because Tortorella can be a bit of a handful for a lot of players. So they all call him Torts. There's obviously a sign of respect there for him. But all right, let's uh, get you right into your interview with Colin Greening. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to episode 41 of the Broly Talks Hockey Podcast. Today we are joined by Colin Greening, ex-Ottawa Senator, ex-Toronto Maple Leaf, ex-Toronto Marley, complete stud. How are you doing today, Colin? I'm good, good. How are you guys doing? Doing great, doing great. Um, where are you at right now? Where are you uh, holding down until the end of the pandemic? <laughs> yeah, uh, we're, we're currently uh, Boston right now. I'm, uh, we're on, we're on uh, Harvard's campus right now, so we got a little townhouse here with, uh, with my wife and two kids. Nice, nice. Um, all right, so let's get right back in. Let's get right into it. Um, as a as a Newfoundland kid, um, you played junior in the BCHL. Can you just take us through how that went, like how that came about, how you were able, how you got scouted to play across the country, literally? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's an odd story, um, but it actually all started when I was actually playing in uh, Toronto. I was at uh, Upper Canada College, and I actually committed to uh, Cornell University from there. And they, they basically gave me the option. They said, you know, you can come, uh, you can come join the class. I think it was like 2000, uh, 2009. Um, you can come and join us uh, for that year. Or if you want to go play your junior, um, you can do that. Uh, and it was, I kind of got the sense it was definitely more of like a, something that they kind of were pushing for. So um, I felt like, you know, getting another year of hockey and getting a little bit bigger and stronger uh, a little more mentally mature would be good for me. And there was a bit of a pipeline actually. Um, so it wasn't like I picked the BCHL. I basically, I basically picked Nanaimo, um, because the, the two head coaches, um, Mike Schaefer at Cornell and Bill Beswick in Nanaimo had a really good relationship. They're very similar coaches. And so there had been for a number of years, been this kind of like, you know, pipeline or kind of like, uh, not like a kind of like a like a little side deal that like you know they would send a lot of players there, um, and so that's what happened. Um, I flew up to Nanaimo and I wanted to stay in Canada for one more year, and so yeah, it just so turned out that I basically went from the far the the farthest point east of Canada to the uh, most western point, being on Vancouver Island. Beautiful, quite an experience. <clears throat> Is I know now uh, the BCHL is widely regarded as the feeder league for the NCAA, and is it at that time was it still kind of a feeder league for NCAA hockey? Yeah, yeah, I would say I'm trying to remember the number of people 
mean, we had a really strong team. Um, and I think we ended up sending maybe 10, 12 people to uh, in Division One hockey. So that was that was pretty typical um, for for a lot of teams. I mean, some teams that were weaker, you were still sending maybe two or three, uh, three or four. Um, and I really haven't kept up with how many people actually coming out of the BCHL, but uh, it was a real common league. Um, I remember when I was thinking about when I was thinking about uh, the different junior leagues, I was because uh, even even that being you know being said that I I uh, you know there was a pipeline between Nanaimo and Cornell. Um, I still had the option. I looked at the USHL, and um, when I decided between the USHL and and based in Nanaimo, I I felt like both teams were, uh, or sorry, both leagues were, were comparable. And I felt like, um, although the USHL probably sends a lot more um, NCAA, but I felt like the BCHL sent a lot of uh, people to the, uh, to the NCAA. So I felt like it was a strong league. And with that, being a Canadian kid, uh, what kind of drew you to the NCAA route instead of the, what most Canadians do, which is the CHL route? <laughs> Honestly, nobody wanted me in the CHL. I was, uh, I was, I was a late bloomer. I, <clears throat> it was, it was really weird because when I played mid to triple a, I, you know, I was, I was a little bit smaller. I think at that time I was five ten, um, which isn't like small, but I mean, for me, like I just, I hadn't quite grown and, uh, and it wasn't until like I moved away actually when I went to upper Canada college that I actually got, uh, and that was basically when I decided I was going to, uh, choose the NCAA route, that's when I started getting calls from major junior teams. And I remember, I think it was, I think it was right after I committed to Cornell, like the Moncton Wildcats, uh, that was when they were going to, uh, they were going to host the Mem Cup. And I remember they called me and they were offering me all this like great op, you know, possibilities and opportunities. And, and at that point, um, I, I just told them I was focusing on NCAA. So uh, you know, I guess it was, that was a big part of it was no one really cared about. Um, I, um, the other one was actually, I took school pretty seriously. Um, I shouldn't say pretty, I, I took it very seriously. Uh, I, you know, I grew up, my parents were, um, they were very, I think they put me in sports just to basically burn off all my energy. Um, and so, you know, it, when it came to school, like they were, they were obviously, uh, very supportive of that. Um, and so when it came you know, I was given an opportunity to play NCAA hockey and even to play at an Ivy League school. Uh, there was no question whether, you know, whether or not I was going to do that. Yeah, I was about to say, Gary Berry came out of school with Cornell and now you're, and now you're at uh, Harvard. So double, the double threat, great hockey player, creates a great set of brain on you. Oh, I appreciate that. Almost all your years at Cornell or at Cornell, you were named to the all-academic team. So. I, I'm just looking at that. You 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 take school very seriously, and uh, now you're going to uh, Harvard Business School. And can you kind of take us through your days at Cornell and how the general experience was? Because in your first year, after your first year, you were actually named assistant captain on Cornell, and you played very well. You were point per game or almost point per game every season. So can you kind of take us through your years at Cornell? Sure. Um, as I mentioned before, I took a year to go play junior and. That really, really helped me. Um, so my my background was I had two years at Upper Canada College, which was a you know, private prep school in Toronto. And then I had a year of uh, playing with Nanaimo in the BC. And I think that's important because for those two years at UCC, I really, really learned how to 
I balance hockey and academics. Um, I did the international baccalaureate program at the high at, at the high school. And that was really challenging for me. And I always, again, as I mentioned before, I took school pretty seriously growing up. And when I went from Newfoundland, uh, <clears throat> went from Newfoundland to Toronto, that was a huge, huge jump for me in terms of like the academic load. Um, so uh, that really prepared me. And then when I went to BC, I, at that point, I felt comfortable enough, you know, being able to take on the academic load, but I wanted to be able to more physically mature. So when I got to Cornell, I was 20 years old, but I was physically and mentally ready for the rigors of, of that. And that's why I think I, I was able to uh, have success there. And in my first year, you know, any, any, anytime you play your, your rookie year, um, an NCAA, it's, you know, like you're kind of trying to, you're trying to kind of keep your head above water, but I felt like I was better prepared than some of like the other rookies, um, in the league. And, and so uh, that's, I think that was, that really helped me kind of get my footing. Um, and, and then the second year, uh, the second year, like, I think because I had a good, strong first year, I was able to kind of build off of that. I had, um, I, I felt like I'd made a name for myself as, as more of like a leader on the team. So I got a, I was an assistant captain. And so from there, it just kind of snowballed where I just kind of kept building and building and building. And, um, and, you know, luckily, uh, you know, finally in our, my, my senior year, we finally won our championship. And, um, and so it was, uh, it was a fantastic experience. Um, you know, I met a lot of really good people there, a lot of good friends. Uh, it was, definitely life-changing met my wife there um and so yeah it's uh it was a great experience for me uh let's backtrack a little bit um from st john's newfoundland uh, okay so I, I don't know if you're if you follow, uh, watch uh so much <laughs> yeah i have i've listened to a few episodes uh have you seen uh, i don't know if you've seen the one with terry uh terry ryan terry ryan senior up in newfoundland <laughs> I, I've I've heard I've heard snippets of the one with uh, Terry Ryan and Terry Ryan Senior, um, but I, I'd I'd love to know your impression of it. Um, absolute no, absolute beauties. That's all I have to say about them. <laughs> but one thing that they did say was every hockey like most hockey players that when they went through um, Newfoundland they went and they went and they knew the Ryans they knew uh, like mm-hmm. Senior they spent some time in, in in Senior's house. Do you have any stories with uh, the Ryans or? Yeah, actually, I do. So when I was, obviously, this is this is like, I don't know, like 25 years ago, but uh, I was playing in Central Newfoundland and uh, I won the MVP award of uh, a tournament out in Grand Falls, uh, Newfoundland. And it was the Terry Ryan Award. And it was obviously named, named after Terry Ryan. Um, and at that point, I can't remember how old he was, but again, he was you know, he was a stud and everyone knew how good he was. And, um, I, uh, pardon junior or junior. I think, I think it was Terry Ryan jr. Um, I don't, I don't think it was named after Terry Ryan senior, but anyways, someone can fact check me on that. But, uh, at any rate, it was a Terry Ryan MVP award. And I remember my dad, uh, he, I think he called up Terry Ryan senior and asked if we, could get it like the actual trophy signed by Terry Ryan Jr. And I went, we went to his house and I don't remember much about um, kind of the interaction. The only thing I remember is I went down into like, I think it was his room and it was, it was either his room or his basement. And I mean, 
when I say like shrine, like this was a legit shrine to Terry Ryan Jr. Like every medal tacked up on the wall, like all of his jerseys, like every, like, I mean, every single piece of sports memorabilia or like trophy or award or, you know, whatever it is was tacked up on that wall. And I remember just like looking around, I'm like, oh my God, like this is just, this is like so, so like it was way over the top. Um, so anyways, uh, but I, again, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be uh, complaining or anything like that because he was, they were really gracious enough to have me over and sign it. Um, but that's, that's my Terry Ryan award or sorry. That's my, that's my Terry Ryan story. Yeah. Honestly, one of the best, one of the best content pieces I've ever seen going out, going down, getting hammered with the, with the Ryans and, uh, seeing the, seeing that house. Like, did you, do you remember seeing the Elvis picture? So I didn't you ever show the Elvis picture. Oh no, I I'm sure I I, get, I was I was probably way way too young and <laughs> my dad was there with me so I'm sure he was keeping me pretty guided. <laughs> uh. I actually got something here quickly. Um in Cornell in your final year you were the captain. You guys won the ECAC. So how was that kind of experience and did it kind of prepare you for the next level of hockey? Uh NHL, AHL, did it, did that kind of help? It it did. Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned before, I remember when we got there, Cornell had won the ACC championship, um, I think it was like a year or two prior. And there was a number of years, again, like the, I think the last, I think it was like the last 10 years, they'd won it like three or four times. Or there was always a class, there was always a class there that had won like an ACC championship. And so I remember my first year, we, we got we actually were decimated because we lost three of our top players. I remember we lost David Kier, goalie, Rhino Byrne left, and then Sasha Pokaluk. Um, they all left. And and so I mean we were like scrambling to get players, honestly. Like we had to we had to go out and get like 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 walk-ons, like <laughs> um, you know, for for our like our defensive core. Um, but we'd like turn it into like a, a like a you know a decent season, but we lost in the first round of quarters. Um and then the next year, my sophomore year, we lost in the semis of the championship. Uh, sorry, the of the championship um, tournament, which was like the, the final four teams. Um, junior year, lost in the finals to Yale. And then finally, in my senior year, we won it all. And like, I think it was, I, I, I thought it was a really important lesson for me because it really just showed like how much work we had to put in as a team and I had to put in to like just get like, just to be able to actually get that championship because we were, it was kind of expected of us. And we were, we were like the the class that like, Oh, maybe there'll be the one class that goes without a championship. Um, but we finally, like we finally got it in the fourth year, but we had to work so hard and like, we were so close every single year to get it. Um, so that was, that was like just a, I thought it was kind of important. At least it was a good like learning lesson for me in terms of how it prepped me for, the uh the i guess like professional hockey um it's odd because professional hockey is just a whole other beast than than you know ncaa because you just play so many more games um but i do think especially for me you know because i was the captain just being in charge of people and and just having to set the tone and, and kind of make tough decisions um you know and, and like you know if, if you were talking with the coach, obviously you're, you're constantly liaisoning with the coach and having to make decisions. And 
Um, I mean, ultimately the coach makes decision, but what I said did carry a little bit of weight. Um, you know, you kind of deal with a little, like, I, th- I felt like that pressure and, and that responsibility really helped me in terms of what I could, I guess what I could bring in my, my rookie year, because I felt like I was, because I had that, because I had that responsibility in college, I was definitely a lot more mature when I hit uh, the pro ranks. The one, the one thing actually I'll, I'll mention about it is like, I think, I think I had a little too, uh, too much success early on in, in my, in my career where, I, you know, I, and I don't, I don't consider myself to be like um, an egotistical person, but I came out of college and I just won a champion ECAC championship. And it would have been nice to win the NCAAs, but I still, we won the ECACs and that was a big deal for us. And then my first, and then my first year pro, I won the Calder cup when we had like, honestly, like at one point we didn't even have like a chance of making the playoffs. We won with Binghamton. We like made the playoffs with, I don't know, two games left. And we went on to win like the whole thing. So basically I had two back-to-back years where I'd won championships. And my first year pro, I won a championship. So I, I like maybe stupidly, I was just thinking to myself like, oh, like this is probably like what it's going to be like. <laughs> and so, you know, then you, you just realize you get, you start playing a lot more seasons and you realize like how hard it is to win anything. And, um, and then I, I and I, I say that, um, because when, when I won it again in with Toronto in 2018, like that was really special for me because I, again, I was just more mature and I realized like, okay, you know, the first two years, first, two, like, sorry, the, you know, my, my last year of NCAA and my first year of pro, um, obviously I, I felt like we deserved to win, but there might've been like a little bit of <laughs> kind of fortuitous actions or fortuitous, like, or, you know, a little bit of luck there. Um, and then you just quickly realize like, as the season goes on, like how hard it is to really, really win. So anyways, uh, I hope that's not too long of a rant, but I just thought that was an uh, interesting anecdote. Never too long of a rant. Also on your uh, championship team, you had the likes of Riley Nash and Ben Scrivens, who uh, Riley Nash is still playing the NHL, and Ben Scrivens uh, played a couple years, Spangler Cup, if I'm not mistaken, and he played for the Oilers. So you still keep in contact with those kind of guys with your college class, or is that not really how the situation is? Oh, yeah. No, I chat with them. I chat with them all the time. Um, actually, uh, ben, ben just had uh, – just had he and his wife, Jenny, just had their uh, their first – First boy, um, they're back actually in Edmonton, um, so they're doing really well. And he actually went back to school as well. He's he's now uh, he, he went and got his uh, master's in social work from University of Denver. Wow. Uh, and yeah, and Riley's doing really well actually. Uh, my wife and I we went to uh, Riley and his wife um, Claire's wedding uh, not this past summer clearly, <laughs> but the uh, the summer uh, before that, and they're expecting their first child too actually. So yeah, I chat with those guys all the time, and they, you know Ben had a Ben had a great career and uh, you know, Riley, I, we always knew Riley was going to, was always going to have a great career. And I mean, he, he shows, right. I mean, he was a first round draft pick and I played on his line. That's um, funny. He, he used to always kind of, uh, used to kind of go back and forth because we were on the same line and, and I would say like, no, you're on my line. And Riley be like, no, 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 you're on my line. So anyways, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and I'll say I was on his line. But anyways, when I was on his line playing with him, uh, you know, he just, he just had a poise and he had the, the kind of that, that skill and sense that he just takes you to the next level. Um, and so there's no surprise that he's, you know, he's doing, he's done so well. He's been in the NHL for as long as he has. 
How was it like in playing with Torts or for Torts? You know what? Uh, I think he likes them. Um, again, from from the impression I get from people that play with Tortorella, they just realize he's just you know he is a very you know he's a very demanding coach. But um, I think a lot of people they kind of respect his ways and they kind of know and they they know what they're going to get from him. Uh, and if you don't perform, he's he has no problem you know telling you how you know where you can improve and all that stuff. So uh, I think overall he's uh, he's been pretty happy with them. Great. That's great to hear, especially considering from, uh, like, I've obviously I've never met Torres, never had a conversation with Torres. I would love to, love to talk to that guy, but like, from, from what I've seen in the media with the, his, his, he's a man who's a good quote, uh, if you piss him off the right way. Oh, yeah. You can always get a good sound bite out of him. <laughs> well, then I, I want to know your thoughts on the, I, I don't know, do you still follow NHL currently? Yep. So what are your thoughts kind of on the pure Luke Dubois situation where he said he doesn't want to play in a, in a small market like Columbus and wants to go to bigger stage? I, I haven't followed that story as, mm-hmm. as much, but you know, in terms of, in terms of the reasons why he wants to go, if that's in fact why he wants to leave, I don't know. I have, uh, you know, I'm obviously Riley plays there and he likes it and he says he's a good fan base and, um, I also know Nick Felino. I play with Nick, and um, you know, obviously, I, my my wife and and uh, his wife are, are very friendly. They're chatting all the time, but they like the city. They they enjoy it. So I don't know. Like I said, if that's if that's the reason, I mean, maybe I don't know. Maybe he wants to play just like in one of the major Canadian cities, or maybe maybe he wants to go to L.A. Or I don't know. <laughs> I guess he, I'd have to learn more about it. Uh, speaking of Nick Felino, did you ever get a chance to play in his uh, charity games? No, no, never had a chance. Uh, his charity games are up in uh, Sudbury, which is not the easiest place to get to. Obviously, I can't really speak about that because I'm from St. John's, Newfoundland, which is like the hardest place to get to. Um, but uh, no, I've uh, I had a couple of uh, teammates that played, and they, they said it was a great game. Um, and I think it's actually a it's a fantastic fantastic what he's what he's doing in the organization um you know we we learned well we were pretty uh in the loop in terms of when his daughter uh, milana um was was going through heart surgery and they actually um and my wife actually she's from the boston area so she knows like boston children's quite well and that's where they ended up uh, getting the treatment so we knew a little bit you know a little bit about it um but you know that was uh it's it's it was kind of a scary thing what they they went through and the fact that they're turning into like a positive I think is is really really good. Uh, Brody, I got nothing else to say. I kind of want to. I actually have a quick question. I know it's jumping a bit forward here because we're trying to go in uh, your career in order. But do you? This is a big question. But do you find that playing in a huge hockey center like Toronto, where all the eyes are always on you because it's probably the media is the very hard on Toronto. Do you feel like your career that you got judged a lot more being in Toronto and they don't. Uh, let let's say like they don't let little mistakes go away like they'll focus on everything yeah I think that's in any major market I I really felt like that in Ottawa because Ottawa's really like the the hockey team you know and no, no disrespect to the, the football team or you know, anything else but they're really the only game in town right and and Ottawa um Ottawa like you <laughs> it's like this small big town right where I would I'd go to like a restaurant or I'd be out shopping or something. And people came up to me as if like we were like 
cousins or something <laughs> and they'd be like chatting with me and you know asking me like oh, why aren't you playing that well I'm like I don't even know who you are like <laughs> you know so um I think that's just like any Canadian city uh but in in Toronto uh in, in Toronto I think I think the idea I mean it's just Toronto is just the mecca of hockey and you know I only I only had a cup of coffee there right I only played like 30 games with the Leafs but it's I think it's just the standard of just like how big the city is right and and how starved they are for a Stanley Cup um you know if you 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 combine the history of 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 Toronto um and the success they've had in the past you know their original six team and um and the other thing is too like they're they're a very expensive ticket I mean I've I've paid to have my parents and brother like go to go to those games and they are not cheap don't, don't get me wrong like you were paying like they're those those platinum seats like they are very very expensive you know and uh you know too much is given you know uh you know much is expected right and i think that's why there's there's just like, a lot of expectations on that team just because there's a lot of like they're a very successful very wealthy franchise um and you know they've had a lot of success in the past so you constantly have eyes on you um you know i i never really you know experienced that but Again, if you were talking to Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner, I'm I'm sure they'd probably have you know a hundred stories to tell you about them, you know, being uh, you know, under the in, in the fishbowl and under the uh, under the limelight quite uh, quite a bit. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, my fam- my family uh, would be uh, a decent part of a, of a few of those stories for those Leafs <laughs> <laughs> fanboying over everybody. Um, so yeah. Um, Playing with the set, playing with the Sens for as long, uh, for as long as you played, you played with the likes of Jason Spezza, Daniel Alfredson. Can you just tell us the effect that it had on your game and your career, and any bits of advice that they get that they gave to you? Yeah, I, I mean, so I played with Spezza. I played on his line here and there. I mean, it was probably mostly I played on his line. Um, my my uh, my first year in Ottawa, and I thought I thought he was just like a really good pro. Like I, I thought he was just a really good pro. He was very vocal in the, um, he was very vocal in the class. Sorry, classroom. <laughs> I'm I'm in like class class mode right now. So in the uh, in the locker room, uh, you know he he really was involved with the coaching staff. Um, he just had a ton of skill. I remember he, you know he was really helpful because he was um, a very um, trying to find the right words, but. Uh, you know, when I played with him as as a centerman, he was he was like kind of like very creative, and he always wanted to like he really demanded like the, the middle of the ice. So it helped me really learn how to be kind of like a proper winger. Um, when I played with him, and and so that I thought that was pretty helpful. But yeah, you know, he was just amazing to play with. Like the skill he had, and just the the impact he could have on like a single game was was pretty was pretty incredible. Um. I mean, Alfie, um, he was just an amazing leader. Like, I mean, again, I, I, I maybe I'm probably not the best person to talk about his like his skills because I mean, I think that just goes without question, just how skilled he was and how amazing he was. And I remember, you know, once we had a conversation just about how he like he could think about like how he like positions his blade when he used to you know, shoot on people and how I, how he was very deceptive um, when he used to when he would shoot on on goalies and. And that's why I scored so many goals. And I remember at the end of like morning skates, you know, we would kind of like try and you know do like keep away. You always have these um, 
they always have these little like leader like leadership tidbits and little leadership pieces of advice about like just dropping your shoulder or keeping the puck on your stick, not stick handling, right? Like a lot of it was you know, creating that like deception that he was so amazing at. Um, and he was just a fantastic leader. Anyone could approach him. He had such a control on the locker room. It was incredible. I remember, I didn't realize until after he gone, like how much he just like how important he was as a liaison between the coaching staff and, and the players. Um, just because he, he controlled so much respect that I know that the coaching staff didn't feel like they had to micromanage us. They just knew that like Elfie would take care of it. Um, so yeah, it's, it was just pretty incredible just to see, uh, just to see him kind of play and just to see his leadership skills. So yeah, it was, it was amazing playing with those two guys. Real, really quick. Um, you were, you've had, you've been a part of teams with some legendary players and coach and coaches and management staff for, uh, for like the likes of Homer Clean, uh, Mike Babcock, et cetera. One guy I really want to go over is Brian Murray, the former uh, Ottawa GM. Can you just give us some, uh, like just any, if you have a, uh, any stories with him, any piece of advice he gave to you uh, based off of all of, the, all of his experience in the league? Yeah, I, so obviously, you know, miss Brian a lot. He was the guy that gave him my chance. And I tell us, I think I've told a, a lot of people this, but, you know, he was the guy that brought me up when I remember uh, my first year pro, there was probably some other guys that he could have called up, but, you know, in February of my first year, he was, he, he called me up and I mean, you know, he, he liked the way I was playing and, and he really gave me a shot because that's really all I wanted was just an opportunity and a shot. And so I'm, I will always be grateful to him for, for giving me that. Uh, Brian was a guy that just, he, he had his heart on his sleeve. He really cared about his players. You knew exactly what, what was expected of you. Um, you know, of, of all the people in hockey, I probably had the most arguments with him. <laughs> like, and you know, he was just a, he was just a demanding, uh, GM. And like, I don't say the arguments in a bad way. It was just, you know, he, he, like, he would let you know, like there was no games, which was actually, which was great because you just knew where he stood. And um, I mean, there's a number of things I could talk about, but I, I think it was the last time I talked to him before he passed away. And uh, this was, this is basically when I, at the end of the season where I, I knew I was getting traded and I was basically like a pariah in, in Ottawa and uh, we'd had like a heated argument. I think it was like a couple of days prior. And uh, I went back in to chat with him. And uh, you know, he he at the very end of it, he goes, "Listen, I'm I'm really gonna I'm really gonna do my best to find you a new home." He's like, "I, I really will. I'm gonna like I'm I'm gonna do everything I can to find you a new home." And and he was true to his word. He found me a home in Toronto, and it was the last place I thought he would he would put me. Um, but he, you know, before he passed away, like he, he kept his word and I'm forever grateful because when I went to Toronto, I had no idea what was going to happen. And even though I wasn't able to, you know, uh, get back to the NHL level, I really enjoyed my time there. I, I had a ton of fun with the Marlies and I was able to kind of continue playing. So anyways, that's my story with Brian Murray. And, you know, he's, uh, he's got a special place in my heart uh, forever. Uh, yeah, from what I've from what I've uh, heard, he's uh, he's loved by many people, and uh, 
great. That's one. That's one thing. Like when people pass, and, and it is sad with stories like this. When it's great, it is great to hear the the effect that he had on uh, on your life and the life of others. Mm-hmm. And uh, you mentioned Toronto. Just to go over that again, the you you were a part of the Antonov trade, the infamous or the famous Antonov trade uh, to get rid of that seven million dollar cap hit out of Toronto. Uh, can you just take us through uh, like your thoughts about going to Toronto, especially considering you. Uh, you live, you've lived there in the past at Upper Canada College, and um, yeah, just take us through your thought process for that. When I first heard about the trade, I was actually down in Binghamton, and I uh, was working out, and we were about to go out for practice, and then the head coach, Luke Richardson, at the time, he kind of called me and he said, "You know, you got to talk to, you got to talk to Randy Lee." Um, and Randy says, "We we think we have a trade, you know, but we need to stay off the ice because you know we don't want you getting hurt," and. Uh, and I was like, who's it with? And he goes, we can't say that right now. And he goes, but um, what we're going to need you to do is, uh, sorry, no, wait a minute. That's, that's the, actually, that's not correct. He, he said it was, we think it's with Toronto, but at that time I had a, uh, a no trade clause. And they said like, you have to, you have to waive that so we can actually get this, this done. So anyways, I called, I called my agent, called in my wife. I was like, do you think this is the right thing? Blah, blah, blah. And anyways, so I, I just said like screw it. I mean, I, at that point, I I was I just wanted to change scenery. So the trade went through, and I I, I looked at the trade. I was like, and then I realized like, do we even trade with Toronto? Because in Ottawa, you you like you're always taught like to hate Toronto. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure it was probably the other way around too. Like Toronto was taught to hate Ottawa, but like, we just we always had like really heated games, and you know, it, even the the staff I'm not even quite sure like if they liked each other that much. So. It was really weird. And then you realize afterwards, it was just kind of like a salary dump on both sides. But um, when I went to Toronto, I, I just, I was like, I'll just try and make the most of it. It was my, it was my shot to try and get back to the NHL. And luckily I just had some good fortune. I got to play with some good people and it was probably the best hockey I played in the NHL. Like (laughs) during my career, I think I was like a half point a game or something. I got like, I think it was like 15, 15, 16 points in 30 games or something. And I realized that points, you know, didn't define my career, but like overall, I just felt like I played really, really well. Um, and, you know, the next year they had people like Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and William Nylander ready to come in. So obviously that didn't leave room for me. And luckily I was able to show them enough in those 30 games that I at least deserved to be with the Marlies in leadership position and uh and that's really where i enjoyed my time you know i it was uh it was great like i got to be more of a mentor down there and like i said the uh the second year i was with them we won the calder cup and yeah it was uh i loved it i, I was very familiar with the city it was it was uh there was obviously you know it was a bigger city than toronto um, i had a lot of friends there you know my wife and we loved it uh, do you still play? Like, just on like, obviously, COVID changed everything. But like, do you still play like pickup beer league? No, no, I I haven't played actually. Um, the, uh, weirdly enough, I the first time I was back on skates since my last pro game was uh, I think it was like last week. Uh, I took my daughter skating for the first time. But other than that, I uh, I just I've been taking some time away. Yeah, it makes sense. So, uh, uh, once you spend every day on the ice for years and years and years, it makes sense. It doesn't come off. Uh, well, I also too. I uh, my my knee was a little bit banged up. Um, my my last year, I uh, I hurt my MCL, and then I played through it um, in playoffs. And so it just kind of kept getting like I kept banging it up. Like it was it was fine. Like, but 
I remember like that summer I had to kind of rehab it back and then I started classes and stuff like that. So I was just like, just take some time away. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, I kind of want to quickly go back to your time with the Senators and in your in your rookie year with the Senators, uh, uh, that was actually Alexei Kovalev's last year. And there's been a lot of funny stories about Alexei Kovalev. So I want to know if uh, if you have any stories about Alexei Kovalev. Yeah, so I I only played a couple of games with him, um, but the only stories I heard about him was, you know, he's very, again, he was just kind of like a very nonchalant player, amazing skill, like just the hands on him were just incredible. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I just think, yeah, at, the, at that point of his career, he just, I, I mean, I'm not sure just really <laughs> how, like, how, I mean, especially in Ottawa too, like, people were getting traded left right and center and um so anyways i think when he got traded he was ready to go but i just the story the only stories i heard about him um was just like basically after games like just how quickly he just like as soon as the game was done they basically said it it might as well have been just like a zipper like his he basically just like took off all of his gear within like two seconds and he just like be showered out the door before like anyone could like take a sip of gatorade and, and so I, I, so I, I think I, maybe it was just, a maybe that was just the, the, the time in Ottawa, but um, I just remember a lot of guys were saying like, yeah, when, you know, after games, he was out. <laughs> um, with Kovalev, I remember like, he's so iconic. I remember re- uh, hearing stories again, again, I'm going to start, I'm going to go back to checklets, but when uh, Glenn Healy, he was saying about how, uh, it wasn't. It was in '94 when they when the Rangers won the cup. I think that's correct. Yeah. So '94, uh, like Kobe was on that Rangers team, and like he was staying out way too long. Mike Heen, and Mike Heenan just kept saying, like, kept saying everyone on the bench, okay, if, uh, no, Kobe's staying on the entire period. The rest of the game, staying on the entire period. I'm not. I'm not taking him off. He ends up going and scoring, and uh, then Kobe, and then uh, after the game, everyone's like going, I'm like, okay, just let, like trying to console me, okay, like, he's going to get pissed off. Don't worry, don't worry. He's like, what do you mean he's going to get pissed off? I thought he kept me on just to uh, to reward me for playing well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, like I said, I, I never really interacted with him, but um, anyways, if, that, if that's the story you heard, I'm sure it's probably true. Um, so just uh, getting to the little uh, lockout, you played in, uh, in Denmark during the lockout. Uh, can you just take us through... Uh, like what led you to go to Denmark? Like if you had, if you had any other offers from say KHL, KHL, SHL, etc. <laughs> no offers for this guy again. <laughs> there is uh, this is this is probably you know uh, a little bit um, so it's probably similar to when I was playing midget AAA growing up, right? Like you know when you were asking me that initial question about major junior teams, and I'm like nobody wanted me um and it was the same thing in the, in the lockout right uh again i was just i was a rookie uh and i really hadn't established myself and all the like the real top players were going to probably switzerland and sweden and all these teams and you know i think about switzerland too right they have they have import rules right you can only have i think you can only have four imports play at a time you can have six on the roster but you can only have four at a time right so that means like your imports, they got to be real studs. So like Switzerland clearly was out, but like I, for like, I played with Bobby Ryan, like, you know, they were happy to take him because he was just so good. And then like Sweden and Finland, the same thing, right? Like, I mean, everyone is, everyone was trying to find a place to play. And um, so there's only, you know, 
even under like normal circumstances, it's probably hard. But in, in that situation, it's even harder. But I, uh, my agent was, was great about it. You know, he, he said like, listen, like Denmark is, is not, you know, one of the more, you know, in terms of like a notoriety that like, it doesn't have a ton of notoriety, but you're going to play a ton. Um, you know, it's like, they're, they're going to like pay your expenses and they're going to put you up and at least you'll kind of stay fresh. And I'd, I'd heard about like, it was, uh, so I played the Northern part of, uh, the Northern Jutland, it was called, um, of, of Denmark, a place called, uh, Alberg. And I had a blast. I, I, you know, we had a, we had a really strong team. I, when I left, we were like first, um, in, uh, in the league. And, um, like I said, it was, uh, it was only three lines at the time. So I played a ton. Um, and, uh, I got to experience, you know, I got to travel a little bit and meet some new friends and yeah, it's, uh, I'd, I'd blast over there. Uh, any other, any other North Americans you can remember playing in, uh, in Denmark at the time? Yeah. Kevin Klein, uh, sorry, Kevin Klein. I, anyways, last, last, last name was Klein. I'm, um, yeah, it's Kevin. Yeah, the, I think it's Kevin the Klein. The, the National Rangers defenseman. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm pretty sure he was over there and he was playing for a team just outside of Copenhagen. And there was like, there was some sort of family connection there. Like his sister was living in Copenhagen at the time, but he was there for about, I think a month. And then actually my, my buddy, Zach Smith, who I was playing with in Ottawa, he ended up going over to Denmark and actually playing for the rival of our team. And I ended up playing him, uh, playing him once. Uh, so he was there for about a month, but that was fun to actually play against him. Um, we played against him. I think it was just after Christmas and it was like a really, really good game. Um, they ended up beating us uh, in a shootout, but uh, it was, it was hilarious because like over there, like the owners can print out as many tickets as they want and it was just like a really sought after the game because we were number one and they were number two and uh <laughs> and like there was people sitting in the aisles because they like there weren't enough seats because they just like they just kept printing tickets and uh and so like they like the fire marshals had to keep again it was this was all in danish that was going over the uh that was coming in over the uh the speaker and so they kept saying like people have to leave, like but no one would leave. <laughs> so, anyways, that was uh, that was a pretty funny story. Any any uh, fisticuffs come out during that game between you and Zach? No, no, thankfully. Uh, Smitty Smitty's a tough. He's he's definitely a lot tougher than I am. Um, so if uh, if 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 we had to kind of shed the mitts, I don't I don't know. I I, I probably would have held my own, but he definitely would have gotten the best of me. Yeah, but he's in Rockford, and he's in your ship with Chicago. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I think it, I, I think he's still like he's still with Chicago. Um, I chatted with him this summer, um, and again, like it's just even in normal times, like you're you don't really know because it's still in training camp. But um, yeah, I'm not I'm not quite sure what's going on, especially with COVID. And, and you know, I unfortunately, like I said, I just don't I don't know all the rules about it. In your time in Denmark, you actually played with uh, Nikolai Ehlers' brother, Sebastian Ehlers, and uh, did you get to kind of was a young Nikolai kind of sitting there? Uh, I guess he would have been 16 at the time. Did he ever like, come to skates or anything? Or did you get any impressions on Nikolai or his brother? No, I, I never met him. Uh, I never skated with him. But I did remember because Sebastian, he was like, he was a decent player, but he wasn't like one of our, our better players on our team. Um, but everyone kept talking about his brother. And, and they were like, and they kept saying, and I wasn't quite sure because when people say like, oh, this person's going to be big, right? Like, I'm like, do they really know? Like, I mean, you know, you never, you never really, really know, but they kept saying, they said like, like Sebastian's brother, like he's amazing. Like he's going to be so good. 
Uh, and I remember the first time I, I think I watched them play like the next year or the year after that was like in the world juniors. And I was like, Oh wow. Like, no, they weren't, they weren't like blowing smoke on my ass. Like this, like this guy is a player. Like he was unbelievable. Um, so <laughs> if I, if I, if I'd known that I probably would have pushed uh maybe skate with him a little bit, but um, yeah, he's, he's an incredible player. I remember, I remember like, I think the first time I watched him play, he actually like skated up the ice and he's a left shot and he was stick handling left and he got kind of, twist and turned around um in the middle of the ice by a player and he started basically stick handling as if he was a righty it was just like the oddest thing ever if you ever you should like youtube this or google it i it, i know he's done it a couple times in the nhl but it's like hilarious to see him like he basically went from like stick handling left to like stick handling right for like a couple of seconds and i was like wow okay this guy's a player i don't know if you've ever seen that video of uh, i think it was the grand rapids griffins when they had the uh like the double bladed hockey stick on both ends. They had a left-handed blade on one end and a right-handed blade on the other end. <laughs> I never saw that, but I'll, I'm going to have to Google that one after. Thomas Yurko was having a field day with that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember going to uh, Winnipeg Jets uh, prospect camp in, uh, I forget what year it was. It was the year that Ehlers was coming into the NHL and they, he was called the Danish Gretzky, Gretzky. That's what they were calling him. I think that was 17. Oh, yeah. Camp. yeah. I mean, they. I don't know how many... I don't know how many players like because I'm trying to think of the uh, like Lars Eller come, came out of uh, Denmark and then I play with Peter Regan. Um, trying to think of the other like the other Danes, but uh, I mean I'm not, I'm not nothing against. Pardon. Uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand out of um, Columbus, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, Bjorkstrand is is out of Denmark. I'm pretty sure because uh, if, if my memory serves me correctly, that World Junior team was Ehlers and Bjorkstrand on it. Oh, okay. All right, so that that may be true, but. Um, but yeah, again, just just based on his skill, I could see why they would do that because again, it's it's not a it's not like a, a known place to be, you know, kind of breeding hockey players. And for for a guy to have that amount of skill, of course they would call him the Wayne Gretzky because he's just like at least from what I saw, he's just kind of like head and above like what I saw coming out of Denmark. Yeah, Brody, you you're uh, as the Jets fan of the podcast, you can uh you can attest to that as you see him every day uh, or every couple of days in uh, in a Jets uniform. Yeah, uh, actually, I got a funny story. When I first went to camp at the prospect camp, that would have been 2014, 15-ish. Uh, and that was Nick Ehlers looked scary. That was the first time I think I probably saw European up close. And I was scared of him. I, I got a bunch of my hat signed by a bunch of people. I did not want my hat signed by him. He scared me. I barely took a picture with him. I was just scared of him. I have the picture and you can even look. I look pretty scared. I don't know. <laughs> he just creeped Danish, me out. I don't know why. Like, like, like the Danish people are like the friendliest people like on the planet. He just has such a serious face. Like, I don't know why I was, I was, I was, I would have been 12 at the time. I don't know. I was just a weird kid, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll talk it up to that. <laughs> All right. So um, when you, after coming to Toronto, you played, uh, you played for a cup of coffee in the, and that's in that one season. Then the next season you're down in the Marlies where you finished off the last uh, three years of your uh, career. During that time, you played with players like Kasparri Kaplan and Travis Dermott. I want to say you had some time with, uh, with William Nylander as well, if I'm not mistaken. Or was that up with the big club? I played with him in the big club. Uh, is there any uh, little bit of advice that, uh, that you were able to pass on to him? The only thing that I kept... Uh, the only thing I kept pushing for him, especially when he, uh, he came up uh, on playing, um, he really, he was really getting frustrated. Um, 
think the first couple of games, uh, like you come on the bench, you could like you could visibly see the frustration. And like I would, you know, I would sit next to him and I just be like, just calm down, just like just you're a great player, you're gonna be in this league a long time. Like, do not worry about it. And so I think that the biggest piece of advice I gave him was just like just forget about like the past shifts. Like, like you like if you're gonna if you're gonna try and stew and be pissed off about like every single time you don't make the right pass or score, I'm like you're gonna like drive yourself nuts. And so I don't know if he actually took my advice to heart or whatever, maybe, but that was the only thing I I really told him. I was just I just told him I was like, you have incredible skill. You're you're clearly gonna be in this league a long time. So just like don't try and like take it to heart too much so and i think i think like the first time i told him that like the next shift he went out and like scored his first goal so i don't i'm, I'm gonna take full credit for it um wasn't that assisted by the same i, I don't remember i think it was brooks like assisted uh, william Nylander's first goal and like he oh he was assisted by his father michael for his first for his first goal so it was like kind of like a running uh family tree kind of thing oh yeah that's right uh oh yeah yeah i i you know what i i think that's like the i think i heard that before but eh, that's uh it's fine like a kind of like a six degree separation type of thing exactly exactly um and also there's one player who um though he hasn't had them had the most uh prestigious nhl career his time his time with the marlies and as the and his um his off i and his off ice life have been uh have given him some praise for coming back from uh from his uh his struggles with, I want to say it was alcoholism, uh, Rich Clooney. Can you just take us through how it was playing with him for those three years? Yeah, Rich, I call him Dickie. Everyone close to him calls him Dickie. Um, he's a really good friend of mine. He's an amazing guy. What he's been able to accomplish is, is just incredible. And I, and I, you know, out of respect to him, there's a lot of stories that he told me in confidence, so I can't really say anything. Um, but, you know, he's very open about his, his past struggles and what he means, what he means to like, especially for young players is, is so incredible. And like, and like the Marla, I, I, I don't think enough fans give him credit for like what he does and like how he sets a tone for like, especially the younger players in the Toronto organization. Um, and that's, I mean, I, again, as a, in the management, they understand that because they keep resigning the contracts. Right. And, He's not playing a ton of games, but he's there because he's able to have such an amazing impact, you know, in practice and off the ice. He's very approachable. You know, he speaks very well. Um, he, you know, he's a person that obviously has really honed his kind of like verbal skills and being able to like understand people's is, you know, empathy. Uh, and so it really connects well with <clears throat> really connects well with like younger players because they have so much respect for him. And, and, and like I said, just, just what he went through, uh, you know, and kind of battling back is it's pretty incredible. And, uh, and so I, he's, he's a really good friend of mine and, you know, I, I know he's going to be successful, you know, for as long as he wants to play playing hockey. And, and even after he's going to be really successful, he's a, he's a really good person. And one thing I could say about Rich Kloon, like I, I, I follow him on Instagram and I've been following him for a few years now um that guy just makes me so jealous from every time i see him working out in the gym that guy is jacked (laughs) he loves his weights and he is very strong um so 
for anyone who actually sees the same thing and they're like, oh, he may not be that strong. He's that strong. Yeah, he's uh, he takes it very seriously too. He has you know, his own personal gym and he has his he has his uh, his trainers like his outside trainers. Um, but you know, for him, if for him, it's like it's a good release for him. It's you know, good stress release, stress relief for him. And uh, like you know, I I wouldn't be surprised to see him get into bodybuilding after he's done playing. The new Gary Roberts. Since Gary's, <laughs> since Gary's also being coached by Seattle. Oh yeah, I, I heard that too. I, 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 but it's more like a—is it like a full-time or it's kind of like a consultative? Uh, I think he was director of, uh, like, I think he was like director of uh, strength training, or like he was like the strength and conditioning coach. Right, but it's like—is he doing that full-time, or is he still able to? Is it kind of like a—is like a like contractual like uh, concept? I honestly consulting? have no clue. I have no clue. I guess more of that's going to come to light as, like, more info about Seattle gets. Um, that gets shown like as more and more the team gets put together because yeah. like he's running a good business in Toronto, in Toronto. He's, like, he's got so many clients like mm. and I also think that Connor McDavid would throw a bit of a fit if uh, if his trainer has to stop training him yeah he's got a great system there uh, I know a couple guys that have worked out with him and you know he, he he demands top dollar for sure but from what I hear you get like you did get top service I remember I uh, I met the, his nutritionist, um, the person that actually mentioned that he he came to the Leafs training camp. We were in, uh, I think we were in Niagara on the Lake, and uh, his like the personal nutritionist for for Gary Roberts and uh, Connor McDavid, they were there, and they just and he was talking about like the setup that they have, right? And it's like it's it's better than probably than most than NHL teams. So yeah, he he's got a really good uh, good system there. Oh yeah, and speaking of um, Toronto, like the training camp, uh, something we forgot about. Now that you mentioned it, um, I think it was last last year um, for training camp, they brought everybody to like they brought all the players to Newfoundland. Uh, they had to get them like they brought them to Newfoundland and got them uh, screech, screeched in. And I hope I hope I said that right. No, you got it right. Did they? Did you get any calls? Get any input? On, did you have any input on that uh, trip? Uh, not really. I. Just because the um, the East Coast team, uh, the East Coast team, the St. John and the Growlers is there, right? So they already have a ton of connections down there. So it, it, I was uh, I was I was history by then. They 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 had known they know they knew George Street and St. John's and getting screeched in. They they were well ahead of the game, so they didn't need me. You spend any? Do you uh, ever take any any trips back down to Newfoundland? Uh, yeah, I it's, it's it, you know it gets harder and harder now because just, you know I have a family and I'm in school. Uh, but last time I was back, uh, I think it was it was obviously it wasn't last summer, but it was the summer before that uh, before I started school. Uh, I was there for you know four or five days, just hanging with family. Nice. I know we talked about uh, before before we uh, started recording here, but we talked about have you ever thought about a career in management? You said no, you no, you didn't want to. Have you ever thought about maybe we were talking about consulting have you ever thought about being coming like a consultant after you're done business school or anything like that it, it, it depends on what type of consultant you're talking about um mm-hmm. one one thing i've i've learned uh in hbs is that like consulting can mean a number of different things um if you're talking about consulting here at harvard business school right it's basically either working for deloitte bcg bain or mckinsey <laughs> so um if that's if that's the type of consulting you're talking about, then uh, right now I I haven't been recruiting for it. But 
uh, you know, like I said, consulting obviously can mean so many different things. But if uh, if you're talking about, in, you know, in terms of like in, in terms of a, I guess, advisory role with like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm currently doing that now. Actually, I work with the NHLPA. Um, I guess I'm a trustee for the pension, and I also, uh, you know, I'm I'm also uh, working with the uh, union on some of their um, player initiatives, whether it be like their core development program. And so I, I, you know, they'll contact me every now and then just ask me about a few things. So I certainly do that. And I, I, I'm planning on continuing to do that, but, um, in terms of what would happen, you know, I guess in the future, I'd be happy to take on a consulting role, uh, you know, with any organization, right. That, you know, as long as it, as long as they would need my type of skills and, um, and it would kind of work out it, it, obviously in terms of like the timing and uh, the actual capacity to be able to do it. And then always I uh, got to make sure, got to make sure the, uh, the money, the money's there. So you're not uh, to give you that extra little incentive. Well, I can, I, all this stuff that I've been doing consulting for the NHLPA is uh, it's just been more of an experience for me. So uh, I, I, I uh, yes, you, you want to obviously be, be paid, but again, you learn pretty quickly um, that as long as as long as what you're doing actually matters and you actually enjoy it, uh, the, the money will kind of come from it. All right, I think that's the perfect way to end off. Thank you so much, Colin, for coming on the show. It was a pleasure talking to you. All right, thanks, guys. It was a pleasure meeting you, though. Meeting you both. Right. The pleasure's all ours. The pleasure's all ours. Hope, we hope we hope uh, to have you back on soon. Until then, uh, stay safe. Stay safe, and uh, good luck. Good luck on uh, the rest of the way through NBA. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Take care.